All right. Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 18th episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I am your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to my buddy Jason Richardson about how he writes songs. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid, the best way to get your music on the internet and their awesome HyperFollow feature. HyperFollow is a completely free and awesomely powerful promotional tool for anyone who uses DistroKid. I use it. Jason uses it. It's the one-stop shop for all the links to streaming services and stores for your DistroKid release. So this is the link that you give people when they ask where to hear your band. You know what I mean? Your aunt at Thanksgiving is like, well, what's your, you still doing your little music thing? Where can I listen to your band? This is the link that you give her to blow her mind. And it's, it automatically updates with your new release uh, as soon as you drop it. And you can start marketing your release before it's actually live and collect pre-saves and Spotify with email addresses and all of that. It's super useful. And, uh, and you can use the same link all the time. You don't have to get a new link or anything. Anyway, super useful and amazing. Check the link in the description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid. So now you may know him from a number of different bands that he's played with, such as Born of Osiris, Chelsea Grin, All Shall Perish, and the band that I most commonly say when I'm uh, mean to say All Shall Perish, which is All That Remains, um, who uh, have, uh, he's just come off tour with them, a band that I have liked for a very, very, very long time. Uh, so that's pretty sick. Uh, but more likely as a solo artist who is releases, releasing his long-awaited second solo album with Luke Holland, simply titled Two, uh, this July, please welcome to the podcast my guest, Jason Richardson. Ooh, fancy. What's up? Hi. How are you doing, dude? Pretty good. Can't um, complain. Coming off a Nam weekend right after tour. I yeah. mean, you were uh, you were only there for uh, for a little bit, but yeah, I only went Saturday just because I was asked to. Yeah, I don't know. Nam's fun your first time, but that it's like the coolest thing ever the very first time you go. But then, at least for me personally, like every time after that is just kind of like. Oh, this is a lot. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> it's always overwhelming. I kind of like uh I mean, I love it, but I have I'm we I know I'm weird. Everybody else goes because they have to. They go for as long as they have to and no more mm-hmm. for the most part, especially people who work at booths fucking hate it. Oh yeah, they're over it. I know some of the Ernie Ball guys have been to like over 30 of them and I'm just like like I I am 30. Yeah. Like <laughs> When you That's went to your crazy. first one, I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bonkers. Like I, I, I can't imagine having gone that many times. That's a lot. I don't know. I don't know if in thirty of them, this was like my eighth one or whatever. I don't know if in in that many of them I'll be just absolutely miserable. But yeah. as of now, it's like for me, it's more like I get to hang out and see people that I haven't seen in a very long time. Yep, yep. to get to catch up with but, quite a lot of people. That's always fun and sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's a lot. Yes, it's so much. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm very I'm, overstimulated. You know, just from yelling too much, I'm drink sipping some nice throat coat. Yep. But we are here. Namthrax is what Na- that's called. Namthrax. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't get it. We're here to talk about your new solo album, which is coming out in July fifteenth. Fifteenth. Yep. So a little over a month. Um, a month and uh, ten days. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to pick it up and listen to the whole thing, which I have been lucky to to do. Don't leak um, it, please. I promise that I will not. <laughs> um, I don't even know that I would know how to leak a thing. I, I don't know how to use Pirate Bay. So, yeah, um, me either. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't want malware or Trojans on my computer, so no. I don't even like, yeah, it's dumb. 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm patient enough to wait for the most. I mean, I don't have to wait for this one, but in general, I'm patient enough to wait. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's uh, it's called Two. Yeah, very, um, very creative. Dos. Mm-hmm. The new album, Dos. <laughs> and it's awesome. You've released some wild music videos for it, uh, for the songs off of it already. Yes. Um, the First of all, the single uh, entitled Pumbachu, I... I giggled so hard when I saw the name of it. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about the, just to kick it off, tell us how that came about. Well, it's pretty straightforward, honestly. It's nothing too complicated. It's literally just because uh, I was listening to Hans Zimmer's Lion King soundtrack a ton uh-huh. uh, a couple years ago, and I wanted to figure out a way to uh, incorporate that into a metal song somehow just and just make it H-string on top of that just to be even more extra about it so mm-hmm. i just use that as a like a challenge to try and figure out a way to do it so pumba that's where that came from oh. yeah and then an ear, as an like an ear training thing just to see if i could figure it out later i figured out the uh the battle theme from pokemon the old game boy version uh-huh. later and i figured it out like note for note um just as like an ear training test in midi and then i just moved all the notes around on the MIDI grid, and that's how I came up with the part later in the song. I just literally figured out the old the Pokemon one note by note, and then I just sco- moved everything around to where it was different enough. And then holy shit, then just <laughs> figured that out. Yeah, so that's where that name came from, from Pumba and Pikachu, because they both have those vibes in there. All right, if you draw, please draw this this mashup of of Pumba and Pikachu <laughs> together. I want to see that. Yeah. Um, did, you, you haven't already had somebody do that, have you? I mean, there's there's album artwork for, or I mean, um, single artwork for like the upload on DistroKid. Oh. But um, it, I don't know the guy I hired to do it. He's uh, more of just like a Photoshop, like really creative, like mm-hmm. in in that realm, not like a illustrator or anything like that. So it works. But we, um, I mean, it's essentially like a almost same shape as like Pikachu's tail, and then like a weird glitched out photo of Puma in the background because you have to change everything by fifteen percent for parody so you don't get sued mm-hmm. and nintendo likes to sue people a lot so we had to be a little creative with that like just change the shape essentially a little bit and make it so it's different enough to where we uh can't get in trouble and it's just like a fan of something you know what i mean yeah it's one of those things you can get away with a lot but also uh if 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 you don't it mm-hmm. could be <laughs> could be yeah. a big problem yes exactly there's really only one main question for the for the podcast and then everything else is pretty much a follow-up question Mm -hmm. and that's what is your typical songwriting process and was it any different for this album uh well this one took forever as you guys can tell uh first one came out in 2016 so it's been a minute uh i think tendonitis came out in 2018 just the one single we're planning on trying to get an album out you know relatively after that but then it just took like i don't know i was just uninspired and i don't like forcing stuff Forcing things sounds forced, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Or if you're just like, oh, I just have to write something and get it out, it sounds like you did that for the most part. Um, songwriting process is, eh, I don't know, it always varies. I don't have like a one thing. I usually, when people ask that, I usually ask for like, well, okay, well, what song is making you ask that question? And then I can explain how I did that one in particular. More recently, a lot of the things that I've written are 
centered around more of the like they usually it usually starts with like the programming like the orchestration or something like that and then a guitar part will get written inspired by that that's kind of that's what happened with pumba for example for that song like i wrote that kalimba part on everything and then i kind of just like looked at that and like the notes that were bouncing around between the two different kalimba parts that i programmed and then figured out a way to um turn that into a guitar riff from the that midi that i had programmed it usually doesn't start with guitar anymore. I'm trying to think of one thing on the album that maybe did. I mean, there was definitely a handful of them for sure, but nothing like right off the top of my head it comes to mind where it was like definitely a guitar part first. Maybe one of the songs that isn't released yet. Uh, uh, I think Polypug, Polyrhythmic Pug. That's actually the from the, it started with the Gent collab from Jared that's that's uh, all yeah all right yeah because yeah, yeah. it came out so cool and even jared was like yo you should turn this into a full song <laughs> like when i sent him that clip and then it ended up ended up doing that it's actually a shorter one it's i think it's like less than three minutes that one just kind of like starts out the gate and then just goes it doesn't have like a huge like orchestral build up on that one i felt like you missed the opportunity to call it pugly rhythmic uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh <laughs> huh. but it was a funny yeah a pretty funny name huh. yeah uh the reason it's called that too is um yeah, yeah, this is another, I guess, good songwriting thing. Um, so my old dog, uh, dude, before he passed away, he would um, he would drink water in seven eight. <laughs> like I'm literally not even kidding. Um, like he, it, it. it would the timing of the way he would drink water was like this. It was like slurp, 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 drink, slurp, 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 drink, slurp, 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 drink, slurp, slurp, slurp. Like every single time, no matter what, that's like just how he drank water. And then every every now and then he'd add in a measure of five, eight or nine, eight, like there would only be two slurps or he would do four slurps and then swallow. So we have a, I had a video of him, uh, or my girlfriend had a video of him drinking the water. So I took the audio from that, put it in the song. I barely had to edit it at all to get it like locked in time and then just wrote a part to that pattern. So that's that whole middle section of that song. That's amazing. Yeah, if you go back, if you go back and listen to it, you you can hear him in there. Like actually, you can hear him drinking. Like it's like a water, like slurping sound, and then you can hear his tags jingling a little bit. It's through. I just have that overlaid that entire middle section that's in there. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> I was talking about being very very open to inspiration from mm-hmm. wherever it's going to come, and that's a fantastic example. Anytime I'm like sitting in traffic, like at a stoplight. And you hear the uh, the like a motorcycle kind of like making the motorcycle sounds. I don't know, like the yeah. idling noise. It always sounds like a gallopy guitar for to yeah. me. And I'm always like, oh man, I wonder if this is like where Iron Maiden was like, oh, I could make make that a guitar riff. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, you took that to a, to an extreme, but mm-hmm. I, but that's pretty that's pretty perfect. I mm-hmm. mean, it was. Do you think that maybe he just spent so much time listening to your music, like doing weird time signature stuff, uh, and then no, internalized it? Probably no, not. But he, he's just a dog, and that's just how he drank water. <laughs> that's very sweet. So, um, obviously, that's not something you can have just like dropped on you all the time so um nope what are some other um things that inspired different parts on the album um so now we've got lion king pikachu and pug uh, i guess another one uh the song that's already out ishimura um i was playing the video game that ghost of tsushima game a lot the samurai video game oh yeah and that made me want to try and uh just use a bunch of like you know asian type uh inspired instruments for the intro of that one if you go back and listen to it it's got like Urhu's, Tycho's, uh, 
couple of, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, um, but uh, a lot of things in that realm like there's a uh, i think a woodwind or a wood uh a woodwind type instrument called a deduk or something like that mm-hmm. and it's like some weird flute thing and i just used pretty much tried to pull from like everything that i could similar to that to use for like that intro build up and then the main riff is in here joshi minor which is also another asian pentatonic type scale mm-hmm. and yeah i just kind of tried to stay like all in that realm for that one that was inspired by just playing that samurai game a lot and i just that just popped in my head and then all those Tina Guo libraries have like all the Urhus and stuff like that in there that you can use. So just ended up coming out real sick in that way. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for that one, I guess. So, oh yeah, Kodos. Thanks, Koto. Poo Ninja. That's uh, also in there. There are Kodos in there. Yeah. I use, I use a lot of those kind of sounds uh, here and there. It's like a, one of those things where you're like, man. I have no idea what this instrument looks like, but it sounds cool. You yeah, know, exactly. You can go look, a pic- look up a picture of it, but it's almost like like if you if you know, then you're gonna be thinking of it not as a you know like a yeah. sample library, and then it's gonna get complicated. I've learned a lot <laughs> about instruments and stuff like that from and just terminology of like bizarre uh, or- orchestral techniques and stuff from the libraries. Yeah, because if I don't know what it is, I just I have Google, so I just type it in. Yeah. and look it up, and then I know. <laughs> yeah, you you see it and then you like you click on it to try it out and you like play it a little bit and you're like, okay, that sounds cool. What what are they what are they doing to get that? Yeah, like mm-hmm. yeah, you've but, seen an Urhu, right? Yes, they're bizarre. Yeah, they have like one, one string, string and the bow is like wrapped. It's like there's like the bow and then the horsehair part is like wrapped around it and they have to like pull it out and like I don't know. It's 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 really weird. There's a dude who plays on the pier in Santa Monica, I think, who uh, every once in a while who's amazing at it. Like mm-hmm. if man, if you can play it, it's a beautiful instrument. It's yep. just like uh, has this like uh, introspective like I don't know if it's just because. They use it in movies at those kinds of moments when yeah. it's just this like sad, like beautiful moment. But it Probably that's what it bit. evokes to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another one that's really crazy that uh, it looks like a torture instrument. I don't know y'all. Have you ever seen a water phone? I don't. Th- I don't know. Oh, like wait, not the ones that's like glasses full of water, or is or the one that are. Uh... Nope. It literally looks like a medieval torture instrument. No, I don't, it's like used in horror movies and stuff like that. It's usually it's a very high screeching kind of sound. Oh, I yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I, I can't picture it in my mind, but I've I've seen they, like a video of somebody like making those horror noises. With yeah, it. you can. It's usually bow. Uh, it's usually bowed like with with a uh, violin or whatever, just type of bow. But it, it it literally looks like like you could just like throw it at someone or like it would be in a movie and just you'd like killing someone with it. It literally looks like a torture device. <laughs> and you just pour water in the middle of it, and it changes the way it sounds. That's awesome. Yeah, I used it on the the outro track, that goodbye track on that one. That's like all just atonal, like terrifying things. Uh, it's in it's in there. And you used a, a sample library for that, or you got yeah. a physical? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, a next album will be all real. I've kind of put my foot down and told myself that. Like, I'll obviously write all of it, like with the uh, sample libraries and stuff like that. But I think that's like the only next step up is just to do literally redo all of it as real as possible but then hopefully i'll have like a bigger budget to like do stuff because it's not cheap at all Uh, but living out here in la i've made connections i know people that are doing movie stuff and scores like that um so it's doable it's just a matter of a lot of bands (laughs) and and producers use like um eastern european orchestras Mm -hmm. because they're cheap and super good yeah czech republic in particular is usually where people go to yeah it's not it's still not cheap but it's 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be there though, so that's why I'm like, I want to be there for it, and I, that's that flight and hotel and all that stuff is, yeah. yeah and I might end up just costing the same inevitably if I were to do something like that, and just instead of just staying right here where I live. I'd be very, very excited to hear that. I Me think too. That would be super cool. I mean, I might cry. You're, <laughs> I'll cry. We'll cry together. I've always loved the orchestration parts in your music, and it's it's really interesting to hear that you that you will often start with that. I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Guitar, especially if you're really good at it, it can actually limit you in a certain sense because you can do basically anything but it's all you also have always your the things that you come back to a lot and if you get yep. away from that um you can generate more inspiration sometimes mm-hmm. yeah agreed so let's say you've got a an idea like a a, a part uh that you think is going to be sort of the centerpiece of a song um like the uh, like the polyrhythmic pug bit or whatever what's usually the the next step how do you start structuring out the song or you can uh, give an example from any one of these songs something that maybe is a kind of a typical process for you structure wise i usually i try to never go like i mean people always like think it's like weird and crazy over the top and nothing ever repeats ever which is obviously if you listen to the songs it's not true i pretty much just always keep pop structure like in the back of my head all always no matter what and a lot of times uh, as, as well, like it sounds like patterns aren't repeating or like similar to each other, but they usually always are. Like, uh, like if something is like really f- like a faster pattern where it's like dig it, 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 like literally like a Pumbaa, for example, it has that faster breakdown. And then when it happens again, the next part after it is literally the same exact pattern, just like cut in half. If that makes sense. So instead of being a grouping of six, like dig it, dig it, dig it, it's just dun 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 something like that. Um, and that kind of like helps like keep continuity, but it's a slightly different part. It's like a variation essentially. It's like a like motif or like reminiscent of in that kind of uh, aspect. So I mean, obviously, I'm the one that wrote it, so I know all of those things. Just listening to it for firsthand, uh, you might not no- notice that, but if you go back and listen to it, it's like you're like, oh, that's why it makes sense with this part like in context with everything going on things like that like even like that heavier breakdown in Pumbaa um the uh like when it happens the first time it's like way more kind of like straightforward but then at the very end of the song like I think I moved like one note over like a 16th note or something like that so it's just like slightly different or something but yeah the computer is definitely your friend a lot of like old heads would probably disagree with that but I mean I don't know the technology's there you might as well use it to your advantage it's like the same with like Guitar Pro and stuff like that. Like I try to stay away from it as much as possible. But if I do have some crazy shred idea in my head, I kind of want to hear it mm-hmm. first before I attempt to record it and then waste hours of my time on some idea that's not even good or I didn't even like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's like uh, that shit adds up over time. So, but yeah, like the from the first album, the string skipping part and the song retrograde with spencer from periphery that's how i came up with that i had the idea in my head and i wanted to hear it before i try and figure out how to play this like insanely difficult string skipping passage so i did that put it in guitar pro it sounded sick i was like well now i have to learn how to play it (laughs) (laughs) kind of shot yourself in the foot to a degree yeah yeah a little bit same with tendonitis um same exact thing like that was inspired from an arpeggiator like a whole intro was made before I, a single guitar part was put in, that entire orchestral part. So there was an arpeggiator in there, and I just was curious what it would sound like as a guitar riff, so I figured out how to play it, recorded it at 50% speed, and then just 200%ed it 
uh, in the pre-pro and then put some drums to it and was like, oh shit, now I have to learn how to play this full speed. <laughs> That's a de it's de definitely a slippery slope doing it that way, but you'll come up with crazier stuff and like push yourself harder doing that. Just to have to make sure you can actually play it and it, it's not just a guitar pro thing. Yeah, that's the worst. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to gauge whether or not something is going to be worth it until you actually have it in a in a format where you can kind of hear it and get a little bit of perspective on it. And by the time you've actually learned it, it could be I don't I wouldn't say it's a waste of time because it's for the average person it's probably practice. But yeah. if you're trying to get something done, it could be a rabbit hole that is uh is too long and dark and with nothing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so then once you've once so you're thinking in terms of motif and development. Yeah. It sounds like you've you're you're uh, taking ideas and varying and I can I can hear this in in your tracks and um you're you're going through and you're taking the same idea and changing it up just enough to give it some variation but without abandoning the original idea yep and i can see how like the average listener might be like whoa everything's completely different it's just a big long through composed thing mm -hmm. but um if you think of it as you're listening as this one or two simple ideas that are being varied up a lot i think that makes it a lot more exciting to listen to because it's almost like yep. an easter egg hunt to a degree you're like yep. oh there it is again oh there it is again yeah if, you like, go, oh, just yeah, if anyone goes back and listens to ishimura again i always that just popped in my head um that uh i don't know like the the verse parts where it's like not the hirajoshi like asian riff um it's like literally the same melody the entire time in some capacity on that whole part like uh it just literally does that. It does that the entire time over top of like those verse sections. Even like like the crazy tapping part that's in there, it's happening I think on like a French horn or something like that in the background. And then the breakdown part after that, like that same melody is happening in the programming like the entire time. So it's just doing that melody like throughout more than like 50% of the song in some capacity. I said this in the in the video that I made where I tried to write a song like yours. Yeah, that was entertaining, by the way. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to make, and I'm pretty stoked on how it came out. But I have long thought of you more like a composer than a songwriter, which is like kind of a vague uh, delineation. But at the same time, you can hear that in the way that your songs are structured and um, and built out with this, with this idea and all the, like like the motivic development and all this stuff, it sounds always to me like you're thinking of it in a much larger, broader sense than just like, here's a cool, catchy song, listen to me shred. Mm -hmm. It's um, It sounds like you put a lot of yourself into it and a lot of, a lot of thought and a lot of real, like... I can hear you agonizing over these parts sometimes in the, in, in the song, like, oh... It's, this needs to be more important. I don't know. Like, yeah. it, it could be wrong, but it sounds to me like you no, that put happens. a lot into it. And of course, it took a long time to finish the <laughs> album. Like, <laughs> it could have been done so quicker, much. like realistically. But I don't know. Like I said, like right when we hopped on, that uh, I don't like forcing anything, and sometimes that's counterintuitive. Like sometimes deadlines are good. Like I've definitely I've realized that with like put, putting together like the music videos and stuff like that uh, for the new album. Like we're working, work working on another one right now to have drop on a release day, and that one's probably honestly, as the more we're working on it uh, and coordinating it, uh, it's more ambitious than the Pumbaa one. 
it won't take as long to film because there's it'll only be at one location but like just the concept behind it and all the moving pieces that kind of need to like fall in place by film date of uh, June 29th uh it's a lot it, it'll be really crazy once it it's gonna be like uh and I'll just wait and see but yeah it's a lot <laughs> that's pretty awesome ambition is uh very important in being creative at all because mm-hmm. like you know it's all been done so if you're not gonna you're not gonna try really hard to do something new and exciting that you're stoked on yeah sometimes it almost feels not worth it so let's see once you're you're uh, fleshing it out in the, in this way like and you're like you said you're keeping kind of a pop song structure in the back of your mind while you're working on it but how do you put a button on it how do you kind of like polish it off like how do you know when it's done how do you know when you're like Okay. Oh, um, I'm, I'm satisfied now. Ish. When I can listen to it from start to finish without stopping it to fix something. <laughs> it sometimes it, it takes a long time to get to that point, but that's usually my goal for myself. Where if I literally I can listen to the song in pre-pro and I can go from I can listen to it from the start all the way to the end, and then not hit pause to go and fix like a swell volume or something dumb like that or like a weird guitar edit or like a click or a pop or anything like that it takes a long time to get to that point but that's usually my rule of thumb i'd be like all right maybe it's done now and then you know as um taking time away from it also helps because that's another reason why like rushing stuff and things like that sucks because it's like if you have to have this thing done by like all this date it has to be finished like hard finish it's like well the song could have been better and we'll never know you know what i mean because it's like I've always noticed for me when I take like a t- time away from something I've been working on like tirelessly for forever, when you take a little bit of a break from it, it's like a it's like refreshing your palate almost in a way. Like you can think about it differently. You're not stuck in that one headspace of just like grinding on it endlessly and you might hear it differently and then come up with something new. That actually I'm trying to think of a song where that definitely happened uh because it 100% happened where I had to take uh, Sparrow, that song, it's not out yet, uh, that's not released yet. There was like three different versions of that probably before it got finished. And I had it like done. And then just like, I took a time away from the more I listened to it. I was like, some of these parts kind of suck. I was like, this is like really boring. It could be way cooler. And then I just scrapped all those parts and redid them. And now it came out like 10 times sicker, like 10 times sicker than it was before. It's really hard to be that honest with yourself yeah. about something, <laughs> especially knowing what it would take to um you know to redo all that stuff if you go like if you think something mm-hmm. sucks you're either gonna be willing to put in the time and effort to redo it or you're not and you know it's got to be right yeah but like god damn you you're you're just like fuck this kind of sucks okay yeah <laughs> that's yeah. another week well another life. rule i have for myself is um uh, if it doesn't give me chills at some point like you know the arms your hair is like raise up on your arm if it doesn't do that for me it's probably not good enough so, like, everything on there has done that for me. Like, every part and everything has done that for me at one point or another. Like, I mean, I've heard it, like, a million times now. It's been done for almost a year. There's just been, like, a lot of business stuff that's happened that's prevented it from coming out. Um, but now we're finally, like, you know, at the end of it and, like, it's released. It's coming out now. So, the, but it has literally been finished, I think, since last July, the album. Just music business is horrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone have any dying questions they're trying to ask? Oh, that's a good one. Ishimura had a part where... Wait, what's, uh, the, what's the question? Uh, Luke influence. 
on the track. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that whole breakdown section after the crazy tapping part in Ishimura was Luke was like, here's a drum beat. And then I just wrote to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's why it's all like real, really skippy and like all over the place. And like some of the guitar parts don't necessarily make sense, but they like do. Like I wouldn't have been able to just come up with that like off the top of my head. But yeah, he gave me, he came over and programmed out a drum beat. And then I just wrote the guitar parts to it. And then just like essentially follow follow along with the chord progression, and then just try to come up with like weird, creative, random little things that would make sense to the pattern. But he said he heard it completely differently in his head from what I made up for it. So I don't know. <laughs> it's still the chords from the other parts of the song. Yep. And then you just uh, kind of fancified them along with this drum beat yep. that he gave you. Yeah, it follows like the chord progression identically to how it happens uh, in the part prior. And then there's that French horn part carrying that same melody over top of the entire thing, kind mm -hmm. of like tying it together. And actually, like one of my friends who does uh, all my studio updates and stuff out there in Bethesda, even like he's not like crazy, he's not like really that musical, if that makes sense. Like not, the, not as like a dig or anything. He's like a photo video guy. He doesn't mm -hmm. play any instruments or anything like that. But even him, like point, like he listens to like some like dumb rap shit and stuff like that primarily. But uh, he even he pointed out like during the crazy tapping part, it's doing that same French horn thing, and then it does it again over that crazy breakdown part that happens right uh, next. And even he was like, "Oh, that's super cool how it does that melody from earlier in the song like that entire time." I was like, "Oh, nice." You notice that. <laughs> it's really nice when people pick up what you're putting down. Yeah. It feels like you're communicating mm -hmm. um, effectively yep. through music. That's awesome. That I, Especially if it's somebody who's not a musician. I think it's a thing that a lot of people, like, they'll subconsciously maybe pick up on it and it makes it better. Mm -hmm. But if they if they consciously go, oh, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. like, mm -hmm. uh, like in a movie or something when they see a character from before and put putting things together and all that kind of thing that's yep. that's cool. Yeah, usually if you're not if someone's not a musician, they don't know why things sound bad because they can't pinpoint like what is going wrong because they don't know enough about the subject. It just sounds strange to them and they don't understand why essentially. Yeah. Like with some live bands and stuff like that, like if you get like a bunch of different member changes or something like that and then you're just like, "Oh, like why do these guys sound so much better now you know yeah. what I, you know what i mean than like they did before or something like that that's just like they can't pinpoint why it's better but it is yeah and as musicians like those are things that we notice and then it either if it's sometimes for me at least it's a thing where like if i notice it consciously mm -hmm. it can improve the experience because then i like know why and it's uh i don't know makes it cooler in some intellectual sense mm -hmm. um but at the same time when you're writing it you're not expecting anyone who's listening it to pick up on that consciously right like you i guess i should phrase that as a question do you um <laughs> do you ever consider that people will pick up on that consciously like your friend did i mean i hope they do it's always cool when they do but yeah i don't know <laughs> i think yeah i mean that's always the goal you want people to just attach to it and like associate with it and want to listen to it again that's the other thing the question about uh luke made me think about collaboration in general so like you said there was that one part that he con uh, contributed to does he contribute other things aside from uh playing writing drum parts and all of that or is there anyone else involved uh from outside the organization that has any say in how the songs are written or or not 
you know, influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to a, to a degree for sure. The way the things happen with uh with Luke is typically, I'll program out like uh like I do uh, I mean I play drums as well, so I definitely and plus like helping Luke transcribe some stuff initially. Um, and he does it all himself now, and I've showed him how to use the program and stuff like that. And um, but like just seeing all of that written out helps me get like a little bit like in his head a little bit when I'm pre-proing everything. So I program everything out myself and every now and then if he has a crazy idea, he'll come over and just like try it out in the MIDI and like put what he's thinking in there so we can hear it before we like go and record it in the studio and things like that. Um, but he redoes all the drum parts like while keeping like the main idea that you know I put down in the song in there and then he just makes it his own and like changes up all the fills and like makes things crazier and while we're in there in the studio, if he has an idea, like we'll try it out and then see if it works or not. And usually it does. I don't think there's ever been one, like maybe every now and then, but not too often will I'll be like, eh, I don't know. It's usually always just like a home run for sure. On this album, there honestly wasn't a ton of outside influence um, when it comes to writing. And it's pretty much just, uh, uh, it was just mostly me. And then every now and then Luke will pop in and um, do it like, like that drum part for example, and then there's another song on there, Byronius. Um, that all started again with a drum beat that he had had for forever. And that was like um, the essentially the start of that song. That's how that one was started. He was like, here's this drum beat. And then I wrote, uh, started writing to it. That was actually another one structure-wise, for whatever reason, was really hard to nail down. We completely finished it when we got out to the studio to record, and Taylor helped, T- Taylor Larson helped, mm-hmm. uh, iron out just like the continuity of the structure and just like making sure it actually made sense as a song uh with like repeating motifs and things like that and like some catchy stuff in there where it wasn't just like a bunch of like patterns with like orchestra over top of it because that's like kind of what it was before it was my least favorite one by far but now it's definitely not now it's the it's sick like i'm really happy with how it ended up coming out but that was you know that was the only one that taylor really helped like write in a way other than just like making everything sound like massive and really sick and just like cr- absolutely crushing the mix. Do you tend to structure the song out and then layer a lot of stuff on top? Or will you start with a part, like layer a lot of the orchestral elements and, and, and electronics and stuff like that before kind of moving on? Or do you usually have like a basic layout for the song before you start? It's a little bit of both. Sometimes I do have to put my foot down. Like I notice I'm getting distracted and it's not like benefiting the song. I do have to put my foot down and be like, all right, you know, hone back in on what you're like actually trying to achieve with this instead of just doom scrolling uh, sound libraries, trying to find the right sound. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, there is like a double edged sword with that, I guess, in a way, because like when you're doing that, you're learning more about where things are in those libraries or just about instruments in general, because I don't have like some crazy big template made or anything like that. I'll usually just like um, since I have the slave machine set up now, the two two machine set up, pretty much any idea that pops into my head, I just know where it is with with all my libraries now. So Mm -hmm. I can just like open it up real quick and then. I don't have to worry about my computer getting mad at me because I can just in- open up instruments endlessly. Like I think on a Pumbaa, that one had like almost a hundred different instruments, like all VSTs just yeah. running fine at the same time, which yep. is like crazy. We've, we've talked a little bit about your setup. And yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was the first time I ever heard of 
someone using a whole separate second computer to run all the VSTs. And uh, uh, but apparently that's a very common practice. And now I'm like, hmm. Uh, it's common <laughs> practice for uh, dudes doing like film scores yeah. and things like that. It's not exact. It's not a very typical set. I had to do a lot of research and like pay the company that made my uh, my slave machine to come over and like do an initial like like networking setup so I could see what exactly what they're doing because I just couldn't figure it out on my own. But like once I watched the guy do it, I was like, oh, that's really easy. Yeah, You just have to know how to do it. Like someone just, he literally just showed me like two things. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. But now I know how to do it. Like I could set, I could add like more computers in if I wanted to now. Yeah, some dudes like Hans Zimmer and like Tom Holkenborg and uh, Ben Wallfish, like literally anyone doing movies, Danny Elfman, like any of them, like they have multiple machines because they pay someone to like maintenance all of it. And then they can just load up an absolutely giant template with like 2000 instruments in it and have any idea that's in their head ready to go right there. They don't have to waste seconds at a time loading a VST mm -hmm. or something like that. And then if they have like 10 things open because their computer's not strong enough, they have to freeze all of them or print everything to audio just so you can keep moving with the song. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a waste of time. And I, it got to that point with me where I just, like, couldn't tolerate it anymore, and I had to do something to get it figured out. It's a workflow, or yes. flow state. Very mm -hmm. important. And um, there's a certain amount of struggle that I find that helps with the creative process because you kind of have to... It makes you care about it a little bit more until it's prohibitive. Um, oh, damn. We got a super chat from oh, Guy. All I can read is Guy on the screen. My yeah. screen's not big enough. Uh, Thank you, Guy. Says we're amazing. Yeah, he's uh, Guy Kong. Guy Khan, he's awesome. He was, uh, when I was doing Twitch a lot, I am going to get back on soon, I think. He was always throwing out tons of gifted subs. He's the shit. Cool. Hi, Guy Khan. Hi, Guy Khan. Welcome. <laughs> what would you say was the most difficult song to get out and to get done from when you started it and do you feel like it was worth putting in the i mean that's maybe that's a dumb question do you yeah do, what was the most difficult song and why well i mean it was that byronious one we were just talking about oh. mostly just because of structure like it's just i don't know it was just hard to nail down for some reason that was another one where it had a couple different like sections and like parts just in there just like trying to make everything flow together that i ended up taking out earlier earlier in the song we like extended one part and then put like a melody lead over top of it so that way um it just like had more of that like repeating kind of thing because it does that's another one that has like an orchestral build up and like or actually at, no that one's not even that that one's more just like weird electronic stuff kind of in there uh, as a build up for the intro and that piano part or like that sparkly like synth kind of part that's in there we ended up just turning that into like uh Taylor was like, why don't you just like make like a sick lead out of that and then just extend that part so it has more of like a just like a chorus kind of vibe to it, I think, in a way. I don't know. That was definitely by far even though when you, you guys end up hearing that when you're not gonna you wouldn't have ever thought that because it's not like one of the it's crazy, but it's not like one of the most insane ones on the album. So but just structure wise for whatever reason, like I literally just gave up. And then I knew we'd be able to finish it once we got to the studio. So I just stopped trying altogether to finish that one. And then once we got there, I was just like, Taylor, help, please. <laughs> well, but you had to decide that it was uh, that it was worth working on. So it must yes. it must have had a bunch of stuff in there that you really liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all the parts that were in there I definitely liked a lot. But it was just tying them together in a way that wasn't like just like riff soup or like 
just like a bunch of just parts. Mm-hmm. And it just took forever to get to that point with that one. I think Luke and I started first started working on that one like around the same time Tendonitis came out. So it, it yeah. just like, I don't know, just like just sat on it, would try working on it. It wouldn't work. I'd come back to it, it just wouldn't work again. And then I literally just got to a point where I was like, well, we know we will be able to make it work. So I was like, I'm just going to stop trying. And then, because this is another thing where you just get inside your head about it. Mm-hmm. And then, but then, then someone like Taylor, for example, can come in and just be like, all right, well, we need to do this for this one. He did that on a couple of the songs on the first album, too. It's both Tonga um, and Fragments from the first album. Taylor helped hone in, like, structure-wise and all of that. Sometimes um, it's it's hard to get perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you know something is good, but you're looking at it this close. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Do you ever consider whether or not something is going to pop off in a live setting. How much are you thinking about playing these songs live um, when you're writing them? Uh, not often. <laughs> That's a completely fine answer. Yeah, because, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously there there are a couple parts um, that are, you know, dumb heavy, which, like, that obviously is, like, keep or with, like, a live aspect in mind where I know people are probably going to, like, lose their shit uh, and like start punching each other, which is like, those are the parts, th- those parts are intended for that. Obviously the, uh, no, usually not. Or uh, everything wouldn't be as hard as it is. If I was thinking about worried about like having to play it live, I just kind of like, yeah, this is sick. Let's just put it in there. And then I just make sure I have uh, something to put my foot up on. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. My, I had to have Ernie ball, make me shorter straps, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I literally had like we I mean, they're supposed to we've talked about having like a having it be like released as like my strap, mm-hmm. but it's literally just the polylock one like a few inches shorter, so I don't have to tie it in a knot. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the worst. I have to get the ones that are like the dad like acoustic style straps where it like goes uh, through. It's got all the different buttons. Well, or... the the little like uh slots. Yes. You know, and normally you're supposed to wrap it around once, but I figured out that if you wrap it like the long way around more than once, it'll, it significantly shortens it. But yeah, same, same shit. Like, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd have it as short as it could go and it still needed to be just like a little bit higher for yeah. live, just like a little bit. So I, before I had them make me the shorter ones, I would literally have to tie it in a knot and then set it to where it needed to be. It just looked kind of like jank. But now that I have the shorter ones, it's like, it's it's sick. It's perfect. They can go. I could have it like John Lennon status, like up to my neck, <laughs> like a necklace, if I wanted to. I don't need it quite that high, but uh, the necklace. That's what you could call it if they if uh, they release it. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking the shred strap, but man, I don't know. Maybe that's a little cheesy. It's uh, it's, it's <laughs> memorable. <laughs> cheesy but memorable, like yes. power metal. Yeah, cheesy's good in some ways. I like it. I have a. I think I have a much too high tolerance for cheese sometimes when i'll like like uh talk about like on the stream or whatever listen to some song people are like how do you what do you like why do you this isn't too cheesy for you i'm like i don't know what it's it's fun (laughs) (laughs) some people hate fun man yeah metal fans a lot of metal fans hate fun yeah i don't get it yeah i really don't get it they'd rather write a novel bashing something than just click off yeah. And go do something they like. Yeah. Like, come the fuck on. <laughs> I, I just posted one of those the other day because the dude was so triggered. I was like, this is fucking hysterical. <laughs> like, why are you so mad, bro? Like, just go listen to something you like. I think if it's 
somebody's uses it as their entire identity. You know, they're not like probably not really a musician, maybe because they just have taken it on as their entire like their fandom mm-hmm. as their entire identity. I mean, this. Uh, oh, I'm gonna get death threats for this one, but black metal uh, fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every single time they make it their entire identity, you take one tiny little one tiny little swipe at them, and yeah. it's death threats. Yeah, exactly. It's really pathetic. But I just watched that Lords of Chaos movie recently. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? It's about like the origins of mayhem. Uh, I didn't watch the movie, but I read the book mm-hmm. a long time ago. It was it's uh, really it's a good one. It was very interesting, to say the least. <laughs> they <laughs> got like Kieran Culkin to play like play one of the main characters. Oh, yeah, Macaulay, right? I think. Was it? I think it. Yeah, I know it was some Culkin. They're like nearly identical. Yeah, they're like. I think it. It might have been Macaulay. Does someone in the chat know? I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, just like, were you saying that like the elitist like mentality that they have? Like the one scene in that movie, literally walks up to a dude who's like, "Oh, I'm like a huge fan," and it ends up being like the like the future member that kills him. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry, but he just walks up to him and like because they're black metal, he points at the, the a patch on his vest. He's just like scorpions, <laughs> and then just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit if anyone doesn't know scorpions is a te- technically a christian like metal band from back in the 80s but like so that's why like the black metal either he walks up just points at the patch and then is just just walks away <laughs> um imagine being a, an elitist about that like that, that extreme and some dudes are like oh dude i love your music and you're just like christian poser <laughs> bye bye like, like that's oh, i this is another thing people probably get mad about, but I always found um, battle vests to be the tackiest shit ever, and it's like dudes checking out the bands on there like that. It's just like dogs sniffing each other's ass, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, that's a great way like, to Oh, it. I like that band, that band, that band. Yeah. Oh my God, you like this band? <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. It's like everyone just get along. <laughs> and they're so tacky looking. Like it's the anti-fashion for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but anyway, since we're getting a little far afield, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's actually talk about let's change gears a little bit and talk about your new shit outside of the songs. You've got two new models with Ernie Ball, right? Or yeah, we two, just dropped two new colors, two new finishes, mm-hmm. um, six and seven string for both. Yes, man, that white one got me feeling things. Yes, I mean the other one is definitely more beautiful, but um, I I have a, an affinity for white guitars and. I was like, no, yeah. no, my wallet. Yeah, they're gonna be gone yeah, relatively they'll be, they'll be soon. Gone so fast, I gotta make a decision. It's a slow burn, but they're definitely they're selling. Last time I checked, there was uh, there's, there's only twenty five of each, and I think there's eighteen sixes oh, left and thirteen seven strings left. It tells you on the site, which kind of is like kind of cool because it like entices you to like. I guess they're like, oh shit, the number's going down. <laughs> I'm gonna be starting a GoFundMe. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, please. Um and. They look amazing. You were you were playing them on the road uh, with all the remains. I saw pictures. Yes, kind of like teasing a little bit before they came out. That's a good move, man. You just have them, and then you don't talk about them for a yep. while, and people are like, "No, tell me what is it? Tell me, can I get one?" Please? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like a lo- forever ago when I already had my first Petrucci model. I, I think it was a G uh, his G three tour. I was still in high school, and he was, that was the very first BFR. Like ever, and he had like this quilt top and a different colored neck, and there was only the one model out at the time, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> Probably looking at looking at pictures in a magazine, in a physical magazine, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you've got a a new Ampson plugin through Mixwave. Yes, and I've gotten to try that also. I mean, it's out; people yep. can just buy it now. Yep, um, you can try it for it to me. Uh, two weeks for free. 
as well, if you're skeptical, which you shouldn't be. It's great because then you don't even need people to make a demo for it. You just everybody can demo it themselves for mm-hmm. two whole weeks. That's a long ass time. Yep. Uh, I I, well, I you, know there you, are some dudes with a cracked FL Studio out there who are going to wait until they've tracked everything on their album. They're going to download it and then just use it for two weeks. To- well, yeah, and then they would be very sad that they can't use it anymore, and then they're going to have to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll they'll print all the tracks and then they'll have it on. That. Anyway, yeah. I always thought that was that. Was was a funny thing i see people in, in uh, forums be like dude all you gotta do is just like just like wait and like yes. get it all dialed in and then you're you have it for anyway it's like it's like how much is it like a hundred bucks right now yeah intro pricing mm-hmm. intro pricing yeah so get it now for real okay two weeks you can tr- try it for free come on yeah um how uh, was the development process for that what did you like what, what we what actually did? pretty much we were using beta versions of it for the album Wow. Yeah. So the album tone is primarily that plugin. We did a little bit more of a convoluted thing, uh, obviously because the plugin wasn't finished yet. Mm-hmm. But um, there was no real cabinets at all. All of it was IRs that we took uh, mm-hmm. at the studio, uh, at the Mixwave Studios, which are now in the plugin. All of those IRs mm-hmm. were captured at Mixwave and then used on the album. I think we stacked like four of them. That's another thing too that's sick about the plugin. You can stack four different IRs. Um, between 20 different microphones and uh, three different speakers. And you can combine them all together and blend them and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's how we ended up getting um, that sound. And the the lo-fi, too, is really creative. It's not an EQ. It's a microphone mm-hmm. called, like, a, I think it's called a copper phone or something like mm-hmm. that. It's meant to emulate, like, really old, like, vintage kind of, that kind of sound, uh, like, vinyl player. Like, if you think, like, 1930s or something like that, mm-hmm. like, that's what it kind of reminds me of. But the microphone just sounds like that. And that's what we use for lo-fi instead of uh, an, an EQ or something like that. But like, like I, the Bioshock soundtrack. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what that microphone sounds like. Um, but yeah. But there's even like we um, even at Mix, like we sampled like ten thousand, like took IRs of like ten thousand dollar microphones and stuff like like some crazy Sony and like stuffs with tubes in it and like all of all of that kind of shit. And you get all of that in the plugin. All all different 20 IRs. Um, there's a overdrive pedal, which is, uh, I think it's a modeled after a Klon, I think is what it is, is what we modeled it after, which is another very rare kind of like super sought after overdrive pedal. Last I checked, they were uh, up to five grand, $5,000 you can pay for one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, the one we modeled it after, I think it's an Archer, a Klon Archer, I think is the pedal. But uh it sounds insane. It's like a magic button, almost kind of. Um, I think yours has a mix knob on it too. Yes, the yeah, all the effects and stuff they have mix knobs on there. That's <clears throat> super cool. I I have like a physical overdrive, uh, like Tube Screamer style esque one that uh, has a blend knob on it, and that's awesome because you can get that kind of like you know the the Tube Screamer kind of a sound like that mid range boost bump, but also keep a lot of the low end that kind of like gets lost mm-hmm. um when you boost things and that's really cool um i love it when i love them when they do that of course that's another rabbit hole yes. you're like oh well but what if i oh i can uh, yeah i mean blending irs is the is the and is the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes that's getting in oh, the yeah. weeds but you can do things that would take so long to do them in real life yep i mean yep even just <laughs> trying one different microphone times uh, cab or a uh, speaker placement, like mic yep. placement, 
I mean, if you move, if you take a basic SM57 and move it like a quarter inch in any direction, you're already in a completely new area code. Yep. And then it's yeah, and we did all that. Times, That's all in the plugin. Times a million microphones. Yeah, I didn't help. I didn't. I helped with some of the IRs, not all of them, obviously, because yeah, you have to run sign sweeps like six different times in multiple different positions, like in order to do all of that. I'm sure. Have you taken IRs before? I have. It's horrible. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it wasn't even nearly as complex as as what you're describing. I mean, we we wound up with uh, three different um, positions for no, no. What was it? Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, like three different positions for each microphone, and and they're just like wave, like static waves. Like you, mm-hmm. you you've got the thing where you can like in the plugin move the little. Yep. I did to think we had to do six for each. Uh speaker and microphone yeah six different sweeps and they all have to be like everyone's in there with like a flashlight and tape measure and like all of that stuff and like so you can get it like everything placed exactly correctly make sure everything's uniform the exact same distance it needs to be and uh it actually might be 12 per cabinet and or per speaker and mic i think because you have to do straight on and then off axis and then the mm-hmm. coders uh all of that they have to turn it into a way that you can you know, blint like yeah, make it in software. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. software make sure that it does it all correctly, like forward and back. And I guess they just have some way to like combine them all together, and it just, I guess, algorithmically just does it correctly. We're mm-hmm. moving the mic around and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's a painstaking process and takes forever. Like I think Taylor even got like knee. He's like, I need knee pads and a back brace. This. <laughs> <laughs> Is just down there on your hands, and he's just moving the stuff around all the time. I I literally have a robot that moves the mic yeah, around. We were, they were like, they were like because this was crazy. like the first time we did it, and they were talking about that. I was like, we need to get one of those because this sucks. <laughs> easily worth it. Easily worth it if you're yep. going to do stuff like that. It's this sort of highlights this very modern, I think, idea of artists having to be very tech savvy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't necessarily like have to be there for the process the whole process you could have just like come and been like okay yeah that sounds good i'll you know but like you're the fact that you're thinking about that kind of thing and caring about all of that along with for example the software um that you're using the vsts and all of that and having to know how to have two computers linked up all this stuff like this is this this is a thing that Back in the day, rock bands didn't care or think about this stuff until they were standing there in the studio, and then they let the nerds move the mics. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and then that was, and then they just had to kind of be satisfied with whatever. But now you have so much control over every little aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of the game. Do you think of it as a distraction or um, or being very beneficial? Would you say probably a little bit of both? Because I mean, if you don't know how to do it, then you have to pay someone else to. So that's the main thing is like, I'd rather just know how to do it myself and just do it than have to worry about someone else taking the, like taking the reins and doing it. Uh, I pretty much, the only main thing that I'd like to leave that up to now is mixing. Like I know I'll never get to a point where I'm like as, as good as, as, as Taylor when it comes to mixing. So I just like, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to like focus my, like I'll always go to him cause I love his input and the way his stuff sounds. So they all just like put my focus in like priorities elsewhere because I know I'll always have that. And he's done this is the same exact thing, but in that realm, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just trying to stay like, like I know what I need to be doing like for this stuff, if that makes sense. 
And then I can always get my pre-pro sounding more than sick enough to become excited about it. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too. Like with same with like like my new plugin. Like you just buy my plugin and then your guitar sounds good. Like you don't have to waste hours mixing to like get the idea down and have it like you know sound good enough to be stoked on it. Because like if things don't sound good, you're kind of like meh. You know what I mean? Like if it it might be a good idea, but if it sounds like shit. Uh, you're no, not going to be inspired. Yeah, you're not going to be inspired. And you don't want to listen to it. It's like playing on an out of tune guitar yeah. or something. Like mm-hmm. the the core idea might be good, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just like using uh, just some drum sample library with no processing or any mixing on it. I'll just raw, <laughs> super like, dry, and super raw. dry yeah. and raw, and like I don't know, just like a Line Six pod or something <laughs> like that I have into a, into a Scarlet, and then like everything just sounds. <laughs> thin empty and completely uninspired yeah yeah it's like so if you just buy this plug-in you don't have to worry about guitar tone anymore it just sounds good out the gate especially the presets did you flip through all of those no you didn't flip through the presets i started tweaking immediately which is a bad idea yes (laughs) so now we're gonna start taking your questions so I'm gonna let Jason pick them out. Why don't you like say the say the person's name and read the question out before you answer it, so they'll know that you're talking directly to them. Okay. There was a super chat one. We got one from Truth and Shredding. You want to hit that one first? He says, "How do you avoid repeating yourself? Asking for a friend with the initials YJM." Oh. <laughs> uh, well, honest, sometimes it's not a bad thing, like having like an identity, but you don't want to just release the same song for every song on an album. Obviously, I don't know. Just don't repeat yourself. do something different yeah i don't really know (laughs) like the other thing i don't know learn more songs i guess from other people okay that always helps me i mean that's pretty much like what helped get me to where i am as a player today was just learning as many dream theater songs and children of bodom songs and things like that like from start to finish not just like one part in particular like one riff or a solo i would literally force myself as like a challenge to see like can i learn this entire song even if it's 20 minutes long, like a change of seasons. <sighs> this is a change of season. Yeah. I even tried learning all of six degrees at one point too. I got pretty far. I'm not going to lie. I got pretty far in, but I don't think, I think that's one of the ones where it just like, uh, I don't know. Some, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, a a, it's a 42 minute song. So I think like towards like the end of it, like the very last couple chunks of the v- the whole entire piece is where I kind of started like brain farting when I would try practicing it from start to finish. But I definitely did attempt to learn all of six degrees. And I got, I probably got like 90% there. Most of the total sickos that I know have done tons and tons and tons of transcriptions. They just Mm -hmm. have learned other people's stuff, but like a lot, a lot. And that's how you, you like take little bits and bits and bobs from other people. And yep. Exactly. Kind of mush them together in your own exactly. thing. Exactly. Yep. Like, like, anyway, like the, our, uh, asking for the guy, YJM, learned a bunch of his stuff too. Paul Gilbert, Jeff Loomis, Alan Holdsworth, Greg Howe, like, uh, Andy McKee. Like, I literally learned songs from all of those guys. So it's like, if you're able to pull like a little bit from each one, that creates like your own identity in mm-hmm. a way where you're taking, I mean, that's literally what influence is. You can't take influence from something if you don't know anything about it. You can't just listen to it and just be like, all right, cool, I can do that now. When in reality, you can't because you didn't learn it. You just heard it. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I meet every, people every now and then where they're like, yeah, I don't learn anyone else's stuff so I can say, stay as original as possible. I'm like, that's very stupid. 
I <laughs> I remember having that thought at like 15 or whatever. And when you don't know anything you yet, d- you don't know anything. <laughs> yet. There's n- there's nothing or you don't you can't have a really original or you think that your thoughts are original and then you start listening to music and you go like, "Oh god, mm-hmm. everything that I thought was unique about me is already been done." Exactly. Oh, I I can't. Yep. Yeah. It's practically yeah. impossible at this point. Yeah. All right. You want to try this one from RM Shreds? How do you not let the perfectionism get in the way? That's a big one. Oh, I don't know. I'm not thinking about it like that, if that helps. I guess in that regard, I mean, I mean, usually you can edit out, edit perfectionism into there. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so if you're like, if you're recording and you get like a wonky take or something like that, you just do it again and you probably nailed it in like another take and then you just comp them together. Um, but that's another thing, like being nerdy enough to know how to use DAWs and shit like that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not thinking about it like that. If that's a, if that helps answer that question about perfectionism, I'm definitely not thinking about it like that. That sounds like it's probably some, uh, like an outside perspective kind of thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I mean, I'm obviously like when I'm writing, like there's always room for improvement and like everything always, even, like even still for me, like hundred percent. Um, like I said, like I'm only 30, so there's still have a lot of life left. So there's lots of room for improvement and growth and expansion in that realm. So yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I don't, I don't know. I'm but not thinking about a- perfectionism when I'm writing any of this stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> um, ah, you ever Lord Kermity? Lord Kermity. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, "Have you ever thought of uh, writing guitarless or acoustic-only songs?" Well, there's two interludes on the new album threnody is all orchestra there's no guitar in that at all and then the outro to the new version of behold the goodbye track is also all just weird atonal shit that was heavily inspired from ben wallfish's uh, it soundtrack big time it's very uh it also has luke whistling in it i don't know i'm sh- <laughs> that's luke <laughs> yeah Oh, that's yeah, funny. that's Luke on there. I had to like it was kind of hard to record. We, I mean, we did that was just recorded like in my studio out here in L.A. But I had to just like give him the headphones, uh, put a metronome on for uh, for him, and then leave the room because he would start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> like there, I just had to be like, all right, uh, I'm gonna go, so he can try and like keep a straight face while he's like whistling this Kill Bill type shit. Like in there, it was pretty funny. Was he like improvising, or did you have a specific? No, I had a specific melody he had to do. He's insanely good at whistling. Like, could whistle like literally anything. Like, it's kind of strange. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but actually, there's another cool part about that where I guess this is more like a sound design kind of thing when it comes to writing. So I had obviously you can get millions of different music box like sound libraries, but they usually they don't have like that weird like creepy clunky like horror movie kind of vibe like they're too Mm -hmm. clean if that makes sense so what i did for the music box stuff on all of the all of the new behold things was i went uh my girlfriend and i we went around to like different like antique stores here and like trying to find like music boxes that were like half broken and shit if that makes sense like that kind of like correct character that I was looking for. And we ended up going to like, I think probably like four or five different stores just wandering around like, hey, you got any fucked up music boxes? And I ended up finding one, I think it spent like $80 on it, like this half broken music box. It looks like an owl. It's like a half ashtray from like forever ago. And um, I just just like played it 
just recorded it, and then I RX'd out all the notes, Isotope RX, if you don't know that. It's like a post-production like audio thing where it's like Photoshop for audio. So I essentially carved out all the note aspect so it was just the weird clunky gears and like attack of it and then i edited it and layered it in with the programmed music box so that's nuts so it sounds it has the melody i want now but it also has like the weird old like really clunky creepy music box vibe to it that's going the mile yeah for the for the vibe had to try it so like, I mean, I kept watching like dudes like Jason Graves, who's another, one of my favorite video game composers. He does like Dead Space and all of that kind of stuff. So he's like crazy over the top, and like he'll make his own like sample libraries and things like that. I was like, sometimes I've even seen a video of him make one on his YouTube channel where it's just like because it's all horror movie stuff, so you don't have to be that great at the instrument because yeah. it's supposed to sound like that anyway. Yeah. So he made this weird like really atonal like horror movie swell with like a cello, just recording it and layering it all over top and that's all on his youtube channel if you want to go check that that's how i learned how to use vn ensemble pro with the slave machines and all of that kind of stuff the second computer but yeah but i just kept watching videos of him doing crazy shit like that so i was like i need to i'm gonna try that because i mean that's how you stay original and like no one else is gonna like get that exact music box down now so i had uh rivers of nile on i think it was maybe my second guest and brody talks about how to create some sounds for us the soundscape of the album that no no one else could do he would go out and record crazy sounds at um, places local to him like mm-hmm. uh spaces um like abandoned warehouses and all this stuff just go and like throw rocks around and like make crazy sounds yep that were a hundred percent unique and to where he lives yep and um you know, sample libraries are amazing. I love them so much. I get yep. I get as many as I can afford or the people will send me. Yep. But no matter what, other people are going to be using those exact same sounds. And it's dude, that I, doesn't matter sometimes, but dude, there's some heaviosity loops like that are in like I mean they sound incredible, which is why they're being used. But yeah. like sometimes I'll literally watch like a movie or listen to an album and I'll be like loop number seven (laughs) like destructed loop number 75 i know exactly where that came from but like not that no one's gonna know no one's gonna know or care yeah normal (laughs) people won't give a shit yeah exactly yeah exactly creating a unique soundscape and experience for the listener is very important and going that extra distance makes it that much cooler especially when you know when you know the story yeah oh i'm glad you brought that because another songwriting thing that has helped me um for stuff like that like sometimes like there are some of the, like the the heaviosity loops, um, which also, if you guys are into programming stuff, if you haven't heard of heaviosity, you need to go check them out because they're one of the best out there. Um, but some of the more tonal loops than like uh, Vento and Forzo, the, their woodwind library and their horn library, um, I literally wrote riffs inspired by loops in there. And I would have thought of that if I didn't have that library. Yeah. So things like that. Super inspiring mm-hmm. having that kind of stuff at your disposal. All right. We got one from si- Siberian Joker says... Uh, wants to know about your favorite guitar tunings, which I, I would like to expand to just, um, well, you know, what tunings we're using on the album and did you... The same one different? as always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Standard, essentially, but a step lower. Just GDGCFAD on a seven string. But you've got one of the, I think it's the uh, polyrhythmic pug, right? Sounds like way lower to me. Is that the eight string one? No, the only eight string one is um, Pumbaa. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that one's even less interesting tuning-wise. It's just completely standard besides the low string is drop to E. So it's okay. like a drop tuning, yeah. which is like what uh, Tosin, the Animals Leaders guys use. But yeah, but no, there's a couple things on... Um, I just do a couple weird technique things to get the pitch lower. Um, like uh, 
on that one on the polyplug that you're talking. There actually is, I think I used, there's one rhythm part where it's an eight string just for like a second, just because of the gent collab thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I used an eight string on there for a second. So I just kept that rhythm part in there. I'm playing a lead over top of when that's happening. So it doesn't matter because that'll be on the computer when I'm playing it live. But no, because I have the floating bridge on all my guitars. So there's one part, the part that's right after that, I think, where I literally just pull on the low E string like as hard as I can to get it like a step and a half down the low string. So it's like, and then I think I just use the whammy bar in the next part and just keep gradually bringing it down lower and lower and lower and lower and lower as I'm picking it. That was another idea I had in my head where it does that kind of on the Sparrow too, which isn't out yet. Um, there's one part I was just, it does this whammy bar raise up and then it just goes into like one of the heaviest things I've ever written. And it's literally just the whammy bar as low as it can go. And I'm just picking. <laughs> so it's just I just like, wanted to see if it would work. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to see if it would work almost as a troll. Like it was like, oh, will this work? And then I recorded it and did it. And there's like literally no, no. It's just like this sonic, like low end overwhelming thing with all of this crazy atonal shit happening over top. Runking. Did you ever see that video? No. Like runk. There was somebody made a, was, at this point it was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine years old, this, a video of this dude being like, all right, well, what's after gent? Runk. And it's that, he just like <laughs> tuned the, the strings until they're no yeah, note and just... Uh, that's literally what this part is I'm talking about in Sparrow. I mean, it's like, it's like literally when it happens, it like, it hits you like a fucking truck. Like, it's brutal. But it, I just did it almost as a joke just to see if it would work. And then I listened to it back and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I was like, that's like one of the heaviest things I've ever heard. <laughs> And I even put in there, um, or actually, if you guys have ever played Resident Evil 8, there's this like uh, part where there's this giant like baby that's chasing you, trying to kill you. It's like this enormous like mutant baby thing, and it's laughing while it's doing it, like a warped like demonic baby laugh. And I hadn't played that part yet in the game um, when I wrote this part, and I just I was like, what's really evil? So I went in there, I just found this royalty free like baby laugh, and then just like warped it to shit and it's over top like layered in in that part in that part in the album and then we were uh working on it and like mixing it later like uh i think um taylor was watching his friend play that game and he was like dude <laughs> <laughs> what just happened yeah he was like did you get that from the game i was like no i haven't gotten that far in the game yet <laughs> like it's kind of yeah i don't know great minds think alike i guess i don't know <laughs> There are certain things that are just always creepy and, uh, you know, just below the layer of the conscious human psyche. Yep. These things, you know, like you hear a baby making a sound, it triggers something. And uh, if it's all fucked up, then yeah. it becomes yeah. creepy. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. I think I just sound toys the shit out of it. I just like all this distortion, like weird pitch shifting layered underneath. And it just just sounds really evil. People are asking generally, we got a couple about uh, guests on the album, basically, guests, or I don't know if they're asking about you doing guest solos for other people or other people doing guest spots on your album. The last one had a few guest vocalists and stuff. Yeah, there's only a uh, Tim on this one, um, and uh, just mostly because like uh, I, I hit up a couple other people to do guest features. I was going to try and do the same thing, go all out, but both of them ended up falling through just because of life and just other unforeseen elements. It just didn't end up working out. So after two those two big names fell through i was just like i don't fucking care like yeah. <laughs> so that that's pretty much it on that one i mean i'll definitely do it again like i would love to have more people like you know input and collab and all on there but just for whatever reason on this one just after those two people fell through i was just like ah, i'm just 
gonna keep working on this shit and yeah. not have to wait even longer for people to do those things. You know what I mean? Because that takes more time waiting for them to send stuff back. So yeah, to extend an already mm-hmm. lengthy process. I I am having a, a similar problem with my album. I I had somebody agree to a to mm-hmm. do a spot, and then I wrote the whole song. We tracked it. It's mixed, mm-hmm. and then they dropped off the face of the earth so now i either have to find somebody else to do it or just scrap it yeah that happened on the very first album with omni omni was supposed to have a guest artist i'm not going to say who but it was like eight months went by and i still didn't have anything so i was just like like okay all right gonna write my own solo and move on and it ended up being one of the cooler ones in my opinion i really love how that solo turned out in omni so everything happens for a reason sometimes when you reach fuck it I find yes. <laughs> amazing things happen sometimes. Yep. Espe- yeah, especially if you kind of like let go, you know, and you're just like, all right, well, I just need to put something down here. Let's just fucking get it done. And then all of a sudden it's the most amazing, you're so happy with it. What yep. the fuck? Yeah, it was like, I think like seven or eight months went by. I mean, they were communicating back and forth. Like, yeah, they're going to do it. Or yeah, yeah, the blah, 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 blah. And then like after like the seven or eight month part, he's like, you mentioned something about money, right? And I was just like, all right, I'm going to just write my own solo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jason Richardson guest solo on Jason Richardson album <laughs> featuring Jason Richardson on lead guitar. Sure. Technically, I guess. Let's see. Uh, RM Shreds wants to know, what is one aspect of, of composing that you haven't had a chance to explore yet that you'd like to try in the future? Uh, doing it real. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for that one. Because there's a lot that goes into that, obviously. Like someone who knows what they're doing has to be able to score it all out and have it be like, you know, readable and uh, for the performer, the whoever is playing the instrument, yeah, like in the an orchestra, orchestrator, yeah, and have it literally just like be set properly. That's like its whole like world in its own. Even people who do like Hans Zimmer and Jason Graves, all of them, like they, someone else does all of that for them, puts it into a format where it can be performed by the orchestra, and like the dictionary composer book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, knowing shit like um, what a string player is actually gonna do if you put this word above a note like mm-hmm. you yeah, might exactly you yeah. might think you know what it is but like a dude who does this all day long will yeah exactly and 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 they'll know oh you can't do that on that note like it's not that's not going to work yeah like they're i've also seen some things where too where i would literally because i haven't i'm not involved in that realm of things where it's like oh well like budget purposes we can only have two contrabassoon players instead of five so it's like how do we cater this one part to our restraints that we have like Things like that. I was like, oh, yeah. There's a lot of moving pieces with this stuff. So, any like composition technique ideas that you have that you haven't tried yet? Like the, um, uh, I don't know, like some of the things that you've described with um, uh, soundscapes or, or trying, uh, doing something based on your dog licking the bowl, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Any ideas that you've had that you haven't been able to actually try out yet? Not off the top of my head right away. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. The Music Addicts is asking, have you ever thought of making like a masterclass stream video type of thing where you write an entire song from start to finish and explain your entire process? I mean, I it's just a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. With um, It would have to be like a paid thing. Like, you know what I mean? If I were to do something like that, like I wouldn't just like go on Twitch and do that just because it's so much effort. And to have it come across like properly as well to where it's like digestible and you're actually like learning something. But I, I mean, I do have something that I, I got an offer for down the pipeline, but it's more guitar. 
based stuff. Uh, it'll probably be like a, a really legit like guitar course instead of um, uh, like an overall thing like that where I go into all of that. But actually, no, uh, that might be a lie. I think I have two things that are set up ready to go in the future. One will be uh, more catered to like like a like the URM. I actually think that who it, who it might be with. Uh, we haven't we've talked about it, but no date date has been nailed down. Where it like goes over like breaks down in detail. Like it'll be at my studio. I can go show everyone how to network the computers together, route everything properly between MIDI and audio back and forth, and breaking down literally all the aspects of that, like the whole orchestral side of things and all the sense and electronics and stuff, instead of just guitar. But then they have a um, it's like similar to the same people where they have uh like a whole actually I think the podcast just went live today the riff hard stuff with oh, ale yeah. and all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just did. I actually think that just went live today, uh, the 100th episode. It's mm-hmm. got a bunch of us um, on there, a handful of people. Yeah, but they have their own like educational guitar stuff as well. And I think I'm going gonna to be doing something with them. It's like a full-blown course. Sweet. Well, I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to that. I hope so. <laughs> I'll definitely watch it. I have a URM membership. So nice. I'll be like, oh, hello. Siberian Joker wants to know if it was hard to decide the song order. And were there any leftover songs? Anything that you wrote and didn't? Uh... No, definitely nothing left over. Um, well, actually, wait. I think I have something I never finished. There's like a couple ideas still sitting around that I need to uh, finish, but I didn't get to on this album, um, which is fine because now I've had years break for them and I come back to them and now they're going to be even better because I've had time to step away from them and like think about it differently. But song order, uh, that wasn't too difficult. Because, I mean, I always go in after the fact, like in the mastering session and things like that, and like make sure everything is like sitting perfectly together. And then you can add swells or like other weird effects or things like that. Like the outro of Sparrow, when it goes into the orchestral inter- interlude, Threnody, that's another one where it's like um, that was done once ev- everything was finished. Like, and we were in the mastering session, and I went in and made that weird. Like it kind of like it like devolves almost, I guess is a good way to put it. It like kind of like shrinks and gets emptier and more weird and bit crushed and just like evaporates, I guess is a good way to put it into the next song, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know which part I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's always funny hearing people describe with words these sounds that like. You know, that's that's a that's tough to do to yeah. make it make sense. But that to me, that sounds accurate. To me. Yeah, that's it's cool. like I kind of took the idea from like the Mick Gordon like Doom soundtrack kind of thing, where it's got this like industrial kind of drum sound to it, and it's like big, fat, and punchy, but it just keeps like shrinking and like kind of like there's a swell up thing, and then just like immediately gets like eaten, and then just keeps like getting more bit crushed until it's just almost gone, and like reverb trails out into the beginning of the next interlude. So it sounds like you're thinking a lot about sound design parallel to the the music listening experience. It's like it's not they're they're not just separate things that are um completely unrelated and then just slapping stuff. You're you're thinking of how it's taking the listener on this journey along with the song like it, it's yes. accenting it or mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much everything is connected. I've only, like, it sucks having to listen to it in Dropbox because, like, it kind of kills the flow of everything. Um, But it'll it'll make way more sense and be a lot more fun of a listen, even for myself, because, like, as soon as the song ends, I'm like, all right, I don't, Dropbox needs to fix that shit. It's so annoying. Like, just, yeah, like like a, like, playlist flow. Yeah, just, like, let, if something is in the same folder and you can recognize it's all WAV files, just let them play. 
Don't make me go back and then pick the next one. I will say, though, every single time Dropbox changes something, I get mad because then something, then it gets more complicated. And I'm yeah. like, I just want Dropbox to do one goddamn thing and not yeah. get too complicated. But that I think I agree. I think that would be cool. Yeah. So uh, the ex- the you've set it up so that the album is an experience to listen to from start to finish and not just these songs one at a time that yeah. I mean, you can you can listen to them one at, uh, on their own, but mm-hmm. they're sort of meant to flow. Yes, together. they all do. I'm pretty happy with the way the flow of this album came out between with everything. It, they, it makes sense. Like everything definitely connects like exactly as it should, in my opinion. Are there any factors that you look at when you're putting them in into a certain order? Do you think like, oh, this one starts in this key and ends in this key that they're gonna line up nicely? Uh, or? Maybe not necessarily key, but more of like mo- like a uh, vibe or mood. I think is a better way to put that. Like, because I don't, you don't want like two songs that sound really similar. Or, or or similar in any kind of fashion, like being just like back to back. So I feel like the way that it flows is definitely like things are balanced well throughout the album when it comes to like how heavy something is or melodic or something or something in uh, in that nature. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So the uh, maybe a little bit of contrast between them, so it doesn't just yeah mm-hmm. feel like one continuous song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, here's a good one. Jordan Rush wants to know if there's a VST library or patch that you find yourself using for most of your songs or ideas, like like a go-to one that winds up in a lot of stuff. Mm, I, that's another, one thing I try to avoid, is using the same thing all the time. I guess it kind of depends on what it is. Uh, I mean, I do have... Um, well, that's the other thing about having so many libraries is like they all have do their own thing. Even if it's like like strings for example like each string library all is all played by different players recorded in a different room different conductor like everything everything about it is different it might sound the same to like just someone who doesn't know what they're listening for but like some of those libraries are literally like they're way bitier for example on some of the faster more staccato or like spiccato runs where things like that or even like a pre-recorded like run that can tempo sync or something to that effect so it just it just kind of depends on like the vibe like maybe for example um like there's a company called like musical sampling where they're not even that very very well known you have to use like contact five and go through the folder hierarchy to open it because it's not a wrapped library like things like that where like their stuff in particular like is just way bitier on some of the faster type shit like spiccato and staccato type things but then I might use like the Cine samples, ensembles, and sustains for like chord movement and things like that. It just it all completely depends, and you don't ever learn about that stuff until you have you're like really hands on with all of these different libraries. Another good tip for that type is turning off all the built in effects and using your own because things just get really washy and overwhelmed if you're just if you don't turn all that stuff up. You have way more control because you can put all of these things in the same space. Mm-hmm. Essentially, is what that does. I think I told Steven from Chelsea Grin that and he um he went and redid like everything for their their new stuff for and he was like, Holy shit, that opened up the mix like so much because it's not just all these reverbs from all these different spaces fighting each other. If you turn everything off that's built in and then just send everything that you want to it's the same reverb, you're putting all of that in the same space. Mm-hmm. So it makes everything like way more cohesive and it's not just this big wash of jarbled reverb that's all fighting each other or phasing possibly like you know what i mean it's it's a little tough sometimes because that i've found at least because the close mics sound uh fucking terrible sometimes 
the the room like this farther away mics of the sound of the room sound a bit more natural yeah but uh, i mean if you're adding reverb on top of that in the in like like the east west stuff comes like it's all just like on like you're saying and then you t- yep. yeah you, you still want the room sound and not just the like the sound of this you know string because mm-hmm. that's really dry and awful but yeah um but yeah if you're combining libraries with different kinds of reverb it can get really washy and i think they um they want it to sound they want you to turn it on and have it just sound good and cool yeah but on top of especially on top of like a dense metal mix and stuff like that it's yep. it's um it's a great big washy mush. Yeah, control having way more control over that type of stuff is definitely way better. Like a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one that you maybe picked up uh, lately that that you think is cool? Something new? A reverb? No, a, a, a sample library. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but I just got the or Heaviosity just sent me uh, their two newest ones: the Aspire library and the brand new Damage Drum Kit um, that just came out. A couple of demos I heard the damage drum kit reminds me of like slipknot drum tones in a way. Oh. So it's like it's like no, that's not a good way to put it. Uh, but like even like the old slipknot recordings, like they they don't sound good, but they do. You know what I mean? It's like they have so much character. Like uh, that's a really good way to put it. Like you hear it and you're like, yep, that's slipknot. And then they've just found a way to like maintain that but make it better mm-hmm. as they progress through their career. It's like it has that same vibe, but it just sounds better. So that's like what I guess I could equate like the couple demos I heard at the Damage Drum Kit. It's like it sounds really good, but it has that like kind of like almost like a Slipknot kind of like drum sound feel to it. If I immediately think of like a really kind of springy snare sound, like with a lot of like or like tight ring kind of. No, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say more like the modern recording. <laughs> that's funny. We like we said the opposite. You know, it's really ringy and there's you're like it's really tight with no ring. <laughs> <laughs> but uh okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, not saying. like the keg stuff that they do, like the actual like drum kit. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, like the actual um drum drums. The Aspire one is uh I think it's all percussive like xylophone type kind of stuff like in that realm. But obviously it's heaviosity, so they did a bunch of crazy weird like things and textures to it that you can do. I I'm pretty sure it's similar to the Send one, which is a bizarre piano library they have, where you can layer in textures where, like, they recorded, like, twine, like, them taking, like, twine and going on the, the wound strings on the piano like this. So you can, like, layer in, like, all of that and, like, different levels and things and have them, like, morph, like, back, like, like move around. Yeah. So that's essentially, like, a percussive version. A Send is, like, a percussive version of that. I love that because that's a thing that you can't really do with a physical real piano, a typical one. I mean, you can do it, but you can't blend them more from like back and forth. Effort. And it'd be way too much. It'd be prohibitive effort. Yes. Basically. Mm-hmm. And you can just. So that's one area in which VSTs will blow the real thing out of the water because you, ju- you, you just can't be that creative with it. Yep. Um, without way, way more effort than you would normally like. It's kind of like we come. That brings me back to like my new Mixwave plugin with all this, the IRs that we took and the different cabinets and stuff like that. Like instead of getting down there with the hands and knees, uh, uh, with knee pads on, a flashlight, and a tape measure, you can just buy this plugin and then you have all of that. Yeah, <laughs> and then all you have to do is click, move. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it literally sounds pretty much exactly the same as it would if you were to actually just go in there and put go through all that painstaking effort to do it yourself. Right. It's like throw your pride out the window. Like, who fucking cares? Like, just expedite your workflow and streamline it and get the end result that you're trying to get to, you know, more efficiently. 
I get is a good way to put it. Like efficiency is key. Like because you don't want the idea to leave. Yeah. 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 Because you oh you get to, you get into the weeds and the original intent gets lost very easily. Yep. Mm-hmm. Working quickly can be very important sometimes. Or I think it's important all the time. But like I said, sometimes the the struggle helps with like with something that you maybe you'll think of something that you didn't think of wouldn't have thought of otherwise but mm-hmm. not when it not when it comes to guitar tones yeah I, I think <laughs> i think like just just get it get it mm-hmm. down make it sound fucking yeah, awesome and let, i know and, that's some people's thing and that's fine and all but it's like this is more in like a songwriting aspect for sure yeah. it's like make sure you're working efficiently enough to where you can get the idea down and it doesn't matter like pride is irrelevant for the end result of this song essentially um i'm trying to think of another or yeah like the, like when i was saying about the slave machine stuff or like my computer crashing all the time or because it's underpowered for my ideas like that's why i had to figure out the second machine because i was like i have this shit in my head and i can't get it down because i'm limited uh, by what my computer is capable mm-hmm. of which is annoying as fuck yeah so i was just like i have to do this i have to figure this out if i want to be able to get what's in my head into the computer so, do you have one really important piece of advice for someone s- sort of starting out writing songs? Maybe they've written a little bit, but they don't know where to go next. What's the most important philosophical idea or tip that you've got that will put them in the right direction? Probably not. Well, not being closed-minded is huge. Don't type novels on people's YouTube videos of shit that they worked really hard on because just because you don't like it and you're an incel maybe and you don't like <laughs> you just hate the world that's other other things you need to figure out but I think I usually tell people uh, answering dude writing answering how to write is fucking impossible literally every every single time someone asks me that I this this is what happens I stammer and I'm just like I don't know what to say the thing that helped me the most is just learning other people's stuff like when I was younger just literally just being so stoked on playing guitar and getting better at it and it becoming more fun the more I could learn and the more I could play. So, because, again, you want stuff to take influence from. And the thing that reminded me of that recently was because um, uh, Luke and I are planning a CD release show like a little bit after the album drops in late July. Like, um, And kind of, um, I had to learn Tim's part from Upside Down, Tim Henson's part, because I hadn't tried learning it from start to finish yet. And if we're Mm going to play that song live, I obviously need to know how to play that part whenever he, you know, most of the time he's not going to be there. So I have to be able to play that part. So I learned it towards the end of the All That Remains tour. I was just like, I was on antibiotics from my second sinus infection that tour. So I was just like, which I actually still don't think it's completely gone. And I was just bored. So And I had my new guitars. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to get this out of the way. I need to learn it at some point. And I was like, that was actually really sick because I didn't write it. And it was like, it's an outside perspective that you can, you know, start again, take influence from and input into your own ideas and playing. So I was like, why did I stop doing that? I don't really do it at all anymore. I don't do it anywhere near as much as I should. I think maybe one of the other things before that I had learned was like a Tim Miller part, which, you know, do you know who he is? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's a freak. He's like, I think he's a Berkeley professor and he's like a stupid good fusion guy. Wait, did I see him at NAM this weekend? Possibly. I think maybe I met him. Possibly. Uh, no, JK. It was a different Tim. Different, uh, different Tim. There's a lot of Tims. Tim Pierce. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, he, well, he's good too. Tim Miller is fucking crazy. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I had learned one of his things just because I was like, that looks really, really, really hard, and there's a tab for it, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> and it took me like a few days to get down for sure. But yeah, I don't know. I just need to start doing stuff like that more again. 
Just have you ever done anything like that for something that's not guitar? Have you ever done like an orchestration um, transcription or something uh, like that? I need. I know I need to start doing some stuff like that. Like I've thought about that, like buying like a conductor book for like Star Wars or something like that, just going through and trying to like just re- remake all of it in MIDI because um, that is really good practice. I've learned how to play a bunch of random piano things. Like uh, that's honestly, I learned how to play the every twenty or every twenty-seven years. I think is the name of it from Ben Walfish, the It soundtrack. That's like the main piano theme in the new movies. Uh, just because like the chord movement in it is just like insane. It changes keys like almost every measure. But if you don't know what you're listening for, that wouldn't register. It just sounds really like beautifully, really smooth. beautifully creepy. I guess is a good way to put it. And it reminded me of melodic minor, which is very useful. And I hadn't been using that in a lot of stuff for a while. So there's definitely like quite a few stabs at um, things transitioning and intertwining in between keys, like using melodic minor to get there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, like I used it. It's on Sparrow uh, whenever that one drops or when that one drops with the album. Uh, Byronius. I actually, I just, I wrote a good chunk of that right after I learned that it part on piano. So there's definitely some serious it vibes on that one. But the weird melodic minor changing between keys and chords and all of that kind of shit in there. Sweet. Yes. That's uh that's even just that is 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 huge. The fact that you learned something that would influence your uh, more than one track on your album so strongly, you know, like mm-hmm. I mean I already knew about melodic minor, I just forgotten about it. Right. If that makes sense. So it like yeah, reminded yeah. me that like, oh yeah, that is a really creative useful thing to like transition in between chords and and stuff like that i thought of this question a minute ago and then we kind of switched gears i want to go back a little bit to the tim part because i was curious about this when i saw the music video when you sent the song to him to do it did you leave like a because his part is so like chordy it's like a chord melody a lot of it and that kind of thing did you leave a big open space or did you already have the the chords and stuff in place like, how, how much direction did you give him or, or anything like that? So, essentially what happened with that was, is I wanted him to just do his own thing. Like, not, like, just, like, make, just write over top of something that I had already done. So, I sent him the song. It was, like, up into the classical part, and the classical part just ended. Then it was, like, 10 seconds of nothing. Okay. And then the last chorus and all that stuff kicked in after. So, I was like, yeah, just, like, take that spot, just, like, you know, cut it. And then just write a part. Just, like, do your thing. Just, like, make a part right there. And then I'll figure out a way to, like, connect it and make it cohesive with the rest of the song. So he literally, I mean, he did that. He was like, yeah, I didn't know if I, you wanted me to just, like, play over that classical part or something. I was like, no, just literally just do your thing. Just, like, make something that makes sense with this song right there. So that's how that ended up happening. And then he obviously sent stems for everything. And there was this one key, like... uh synth part that he put in there that I thought was super sick and in order to make it um not be like a surprise or just like random in the song I took that one synth layer that he had in there and I kind of like sprinkled it in the song throughout from start to finish so it's like it's it's not like distinct and pops out but it's like a more like a subconscious kind of like foreshadowing type thing so that one synth line is just kind of like it happens like maybe like buried in there a little bit like like two or three times before his actual part kicks in in the song and then luke put his drums in there i put it added in like more like more of my own programming and stuff like that and uh this weird like there's this like harmonic kind of like tapping part thing that is accenting like a piano in there that i play 
And I just put that in over top of his part. So in the music video and stuff like that, I'm not just standing there, just not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great to hear that you, that's how you're thinking of it, though, more than anything else. You weren't, you, you gave him a lot of freedom and then you took what he did and you integrated it so that it was, it was cohesive. It was, uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't just now we stop, now it's Tim Henson time, then we go back to the song like it never happened. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yep. No, I knew it would need it needed something like that. Like I think the the part I'm talking about, it's like right when his part like kicks in, there's a like and it's doing this weird like synth vocal warped thing that he always does. It's kind of like makes it like he just turned that into like a signature thing for him. Um and I literally just took that one little line and just put it a little bit in the intro. There's like one transition thing I put it in there and then it's just literally literally sprinkled throughout until his part happens in the song. So it's not just like, oh, there's Tim. You like, <laughs> like, uh, retconned isn't the right word. Whatever the uh, the reverse of like retcon, like uh, you, yeah, w- you went backwards in time to foreshadow uh, the part that he wrote at a certain part in the song. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's a really interesting and unique unique way to go about something like that. But so in that way, it was a collab, even though he kind of like. Like you said, he did his own thing, mm-hmm. but you still... Wow, that's crazy. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing it quite like that before. Well, it had unique. to be done. <laughs> it had to be tried. And it, I mean, obviously yeah. it worked out great. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. if you don't, you know, you don't try shit like that, it's gonna... Um, nobody will. Yeah, exactly. I always encourage people to go down rabbit holes if they get inspired to do that kind of shit because like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, nobody's gonna die. It's a fucking song. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just music. Yeah. <laughs> Notes never hurt anybody. Nope. Except for the brown note. All right. I don't know if there's uh, anything in particular that you think that you might um, be worth adding to this um, or any of these questions that you're seeing that are hitting you. Uh, Rini Hoppenin. That sounds Finnish. I was gonna say that sounds pretty um, Finnish. It's probably Hoppenin. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or yeah, one of those one of those countries out there where uh, it's all black metal and epic. Any specific moments of the day when inspiration hits? It's never when you want it to be. It's always the most inconvenient shit of all time. Mm. And then you're up until seven in the morning, and then your sleep schedule's completely ruined forever. That's usually when it happens. <laughs> and then you wake up in the morning, and the thing that you thought was a masterpiece turns out to be shit. Sometimes yes. <laughs> Sometimes yes, that does happen. But yeah, but usually, usually it always inspiration hits at the absolute worst time, and then you just gotta roll with it because it's you can't just like be like, oh, this song's really good, this is going really well, but it's my bedtime. So, <laughs> I would say that being being a creative person is more of a sickness than anything else, because <laughs> like normal mm-hmm. people will do that. They'll be like, all right, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's my bedtime now. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. I would be tortured. All night long if I didn't get it down. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just be anxiety. Yep. So we just have be to thinking about it like nonstop. So I'll usually go until uh, I can't see the screen anymore and I'm losing my attention to detail. That's usually my thing for me. If I'm losing my attention to detail and uh, that's when I'm like, all right, I should probably stop because then when I wake up tomorrow and I check this out again, I'm just going to delete it. <laughs> so I try to like, I try to recognize when that's happening. It's usually when the screen starts getting blurry and I literally like I'm just like overlooking things that I know for a fact I wouldn't do if I was you know awake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you you see yourself like doing something. And you're like, why am I doing that? Don't yeah, exactly. That's not. Oh no. Oh, mm-hmm. it's time. Yep. Or if I'm just listening to it over and over again for like an hour and not actually making more progress. 
But that's also a good thing too. That's also because it's like if it sounds that sick already and you're that pumped on it where you can just listen to it on repeat constantly, that's a good sign. Someone else can probably do that. Right. Yep. Yep. Same with like the chills thing, how we were saying earlier. Like if I can get if that's if it's my own shit's doing that for me, it's there's probably gonna be at least one person out there that it'll do that for as well. And how else are you gonna discover that? Like you have to assume that other people are going to react to it at least to some extent, the same way that you will. And mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, we're not a, a TV studio that can hire a test audience or a focus group to, uh, yeah, to check I, every... Yeah, I know you What do you mean. think of this riff? Nah, bro, nothing. Doing nothing for me. Like, well, you know, who's... Yeah. You have to be your own test audience mm-hmm. to, to an extent, so... Yeah, I also know sometimes you just can't listen to people like that because they're usually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like, one example is, like, uh, so All That Remains, the song What If I Was Nothing, literally, like, paid their mortgages, like because the song is so massive. It's almost at like nine figure views on YouTube. It's a ro- it's like a ballad. Yeah. It's like a radio literally a radio ballad, but it's like so left field from what the band has done before, but like even at like meet and greets and stuff like that, like people are like, "Oh, that's the song we, that we danced to like at our wedding and things like that." And like I can't tell you how many times I've heard that now even just being in the band a few years. Yeah. Um but literally like all their friends like or like from other bands and things like that were like Oh, that song's gonna flop. Why are you doing that? And then now I have a gold plaque for it. Yeah. And I didn't even write it or had anything to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I mean, that's that's still a weird concept in itself for me, but it's like like literally multiple people told them that that wasn't gonna work. And mm-hmm. now it's literally at almost a hundred million views on YouTube. Yeah. So fuck. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta go with your gut. Yeah. <laughs> so it's and a lot of uh it's good that we can't afford a test audience or uh listen to, and like mm-hmm. got nobody really to listen to to tell you that shit um yeah you know honestly that i i tell people not to not to listen to like their friends or their mom or whatever because like i mean unless you have a really good reason to trust their opinion in like a kind of like a professional sense Mm -hmm. you know like at the very least treat it for what it is which is a an unreliable source of inform of, of feedback for your, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, your mom's always going to love whatever it is that you do probably <laughs> like, I mean, or at, at the very least, uh, be, she cares about your fe- feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel you. And your, your friends will be like, I don't know, man, like, uh, it's pretty cool. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, I do like to get mixed you know, like, feedback. Sometimes I do like showing like my, some of my girlfriend's friends who like, don't even know what metal is. Yeah. Like some stuff and just like seeing their, initial reaction or like what they think of it stuff like that someone that's because that's also another thing i try to think uh in my head when i'm writing this stuff is uh like someone who's never heard anything like this ever like are they going to be off put by it or is it will it maybe it'll help or will it rope them into like this whole genre of like instrumental stuff and things like that like on their first listen you know what i mean like, I, I do always try to consciously think of that as well. That's why I try not to do too many parts that would be just, like, you know, only, like, a niche, like, free jazz, like, school <laughs> elitist, like, someone would want to listen to. Like, it's fun every now and then, but I don't want to do that as a as a whole. Even though I know people are on the internet always like, oh, he only writes music for other guitar players. It's like, yes, but no at the same time. You know what I mean? I kind of feel like that of all the guitar players out there, that's least applicable to you i mean not i don't know i guess i think of steve vai or joe satriani as having very broad appeal but like Mm -hmm. i actually think that uh your music has a lot um a a lot of appeal outside of especially because like you said you're you're starting with things that are not the guitar and you're thinking very compositionally and even though you play 
out fucking rage is mind bel- like melting shit. We actually haven't even talked about any of that this whole time. Two hours. We have yeah. not <laughs> talked about shredding, playing fast, technique, any of that stuff. You're composing this this stuff like you're you're writing it, thinking about the um, the song, the composition as a whole, and having uh, compositional value. And obviously, guitar players care a lot about what you're doing because you're doing something that's just worlds and worlds beyond impossible seeming to somebody like me. But I I think it's it's pretty hard. I think it's (laughs) it's pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) Understatement of the century. (laughs) But but it's I think maybe the speed of it makes it a little harder, a little less accessible for the average person. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But but I I actually, um, I I think it could have a lot more crossover appeal than most people think. Guitar players are the, I don't have to tell you, like, one of the worst fucking audiences to have because they're so Because they can can do it better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They can all do it better. Yeah, exactly. If they can't do something that you can do then they can play it with more feeling exactly Mm -hmm. yep that's my favorite (laughs) yeah and i i never feel like you're just showing off i think people that's usually the go-to criticism for people who play fast but i think it's just fucking exciting to hear fast stuff regardless of whether somebody played it or programmed it yeah and Mm -hmm. i don't really give a shit like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me that like you're only showing off. Like, really? Mm-hmm. I've seen people only show off on their instruments, and it's usually very non-musical. But that you're, I don't think you're. Yeah, that. I think it's also very strange to me how someone who like or someone who can say some shit like that, but then they reference something else. It's like that person is doing the same exact thing that like almost I'm doing, but just on a different instrument. Like they're shredding on a piano, or yeah. it's like, like yeah, they're playing fast as fuck. And like it's crazy arpeggios all over the place. It's just on a different instrument. <laughs> <laughs> or like if you listen to like the like the theme song for like the new Law and Order organized crime one, like it's literally like orchestra shred on a TV intro. But it's like if I were to play that on a guitar, then there'd be some dick who's like, oh, play David Gilmore. Like, <laughs> like say more with one note. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and I like some Pink Floyd songs. David Gilmore is an incredible fucking guitar player, but like. That's just like the most cliche thing that you always see on the internet now. There's some boomer in the comment section on like my my videos. It's like one note says more than all of these, and I'm just like, dude, like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's like I don't think we're ever gonna move past that mentality, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like toxic, I. fucking, pointless guitar culture. Yeah, it's kind of like unmotivating, honestly. Like. It sucks. It's like, why can't we all just be friends? I think it sucks because I want to read the like the good comments of people who are who are into it, and it's you can't filter out boomer complaining. Like, where's that? Yeah, that, <laughs> when's YouTube gonna? In, yeah, there needs know? to be a button for that. You you could add the word feeling to your filter. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, or feel. It's also too like when people say that it's like, did you not hear Ishimura? Like the one, the second song in the album, the video I came out with. Like, it's like some of the most lyrical like guitar lines I feel like I've ever written. Like I've even heard people like when t- when I was hanging out with um uh, Tim for the music video stuff and showing him new stuff like literally like ten minutes later we were walking down in the car or something I heard him like humming it like not even intentionally just because it got like stuck in his head because it's you know it's an actual melody it's not just sh- shred 
the entire time. That's another thing I hate too when I see people comment that stuff. It's just like, have you actually listened to anything? <laughs> <laughs> they started typing 13 seconds in. Yeah, exactly. To what they heard. Mm -hmm. Oh but, boy. Oh well. It is what it is. It's a weird. It's a weird place for uh, music to be in. Um, when you, you can be creating something that's this incredible and still get so much criticism, mm -hmm. you know, if this were to happen, uh, if you if you to put this out before the time of the internet, you'd be, uh, I'm, it would it would be very 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 different. I think it oh, would yeah. be a, mm -hmm. a much different reception. I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's bass on every album, on every song, start to finish. Somebody asked if there was bass. Ever think to get a bass player to play bass on your albums or shows? Lord Kermody. Oh, I think I think he probably means like a like a somebody else to do it other than no, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wrote the songs. I know how to play them. It's an efficiency thing. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> a lot easier. yeah, yeah. I already know how to play them. I don't have to show it to anyone. I don't have to worry about them learning it. I know exactly how it's supposed to go. Yeah, I can also. I'm thinking too, not just mimicking the guitar parts constantly the entire time as well. Like, because I mean, you can't. I mean, you do need to do that for a good chunk of the stuff. But every now and then, there is a moment where it can shine, and it needs to be doing something slightly differently. But yeah, live, no, probably not for a while. This project is technically still in its infancy. This is only the second album. So there's like, you add more people on there, like going on tour, that's another bunk you need. That's another, pay that person also has to live and pay their bills. They need to eat food. Like that's just a lot of money. So until there's more money involved in the touring aspect of this project, no, it's just going to be Luke and I, because we're jaded and spoiled with all their mains and falling verse and like all that other stuff. So we do have like kind of like standards for ourselves to where, and we've also all been touring over a decade now. So it's like, I can either just stay at home and make more money or I can go out and, you know, not want to kill myself from because of how hard tour can be. Yeah. Like getting a bronchitis and two sinus infections and things like that, which is what just happened to me on that All That Remains tour. Jesus. <laughs> and if there's just two of you, you can tour in a minivan. Yeah. basically like and still have enough room to to for both of you to sleep well that's on. <laughs> the other thing is like you get to the show and then so it's like if you're in a minivan um, if i'm in a minivan i'm gonna want to kill myself oh yeah yeah because <laughs> once you get there you're not gonna sleep you're not gonna have a driver okay so you're not gonna sleep at all which is also not safe and then you're gonna have to set all your shit up which is another thing that i don't want to do anymore yeah i'd rather everything is so difficult especially with the um with uh, the solo stuff that's like, I need to be focused on warming up and practicing, mm -hmm. not going up there and troubleshooting why a cable isn't working yep. immediately before playing. Yep. So there's like all uh, that, that, um, that puts you in a terrible headspace. It's going to affect the show. And then, but if you have a guitar tech or something like that, and if something goes slightly wrong, like RF's not behaving for your wireless unit or your in-ears or something like that, like they can be in the headspace to troubleshoot that, keep an eye on it while, while you're playing. And you're just focused on putting on the best show possible and playing as well as you can. Things like that. Yeah. It takes a while to get to that point, obviously. But after having that for years now, like, I can't, can't go back. I can't abandon that, like, ever. So that's why it's just Luke and I, like, we need to have, like, our usual crew that we're always used to having. So right. that way everything's as comfortable and runs as smoothly as it poss possibly can. And we're just focused on putting on the best show and playing as well as, well as we can. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's more important to have like a driver and a merch guy and like an engineer who can set your shit up and roadies and stuff than having a separate bass player when it's like yeah nobody's there a, to see the bass player. Yeah, it's just another <laughs> factor included in yeah. the, all of that. And yeah. until there's way more money involved with the live touring aspect of this project, I can't ever start introducing other people into that because I mean it's like 
yeah, it would be cool to tour with a seventy piece orchestra, blah blah blah, yeah. and all of that kind of shit. But that's, pfft, yeah, I don't even want to think about the logistics of that. Usually, when people do that, they outsource. Um, uh, they usually tour with a conductor, and then outsource the orchestra every single day. Yeah, that's what Evanescence did when I saw them on the. Yeah, the Lindsey Sterling they, tour. Yeah, they yeah. brought in the uh, yeah a, a local orchestra every time. Yeah, it was the same conductor, and then sound check was essentially practice for that orchestra. But all those people are so good; that's what they do for a living. So you just put mu- sheet music in front of them, and they play it perfectly. Yeah. So instead of touring with like three hundred fucking people or whatever it is, like crews, so you literally just have like someone who's at the helm, and then you just have the people locally show up. So logistically, touring wise, it's a much cheaper and more efficient. Yeah. But then you look at like. I think Hans Zimmer, though, when he tours, I mean, they're playing like sold out arenas with thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single day. So that money is there to do that with logistically. So you can tour with like a hundred people or whatever it is, set up and tear down all of that input and monitoring and miking and production video walls, blah, 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 every single day. It's like hurt. Like, I don't even want to, like, I can't even, like, well, I mean, I can fathom, but it's like, so much. It's so much that people don't see until, or don't think about it until it does, until it goes wrong or something, you know, like, yeah, or like something is like they see a big band do it and then they're like, oh, why can't you do it? It's, be- yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, I know because it's like a fucking lot. I'm kind of curious to see that input list now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> yep. Probably a couple hundred, like at least like two, three hundred different things like coming in. And that has to like then that starts getting into like like Dante networks and like all of that kind of stuff for like monitoring and making sure everything in ma- like Dante's and matrices like everything going to where it's supposed to. It's like yeah, or you could just run it off your fucking laptop and uh and on tracks and the two of you can play and have a good time. Exactly, which is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> just one stereo track of all that stuff that's already mixed, and then it just has to be catered slightly to the room, and then I save a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, we've hit a point where it's probably good to um, call it a day. Uh, we got to a more, way more questions than we usually do. Actually, this is only the second time I've taken viewer questions. So hopefully oh. um, we got enough that they're, that the people are satisfied. And we've, I mean, we covered so much. And this yeah, that was, was a lot. It's this already was, been two hours. That was fast. Yeah. It always goes fast. So the album is coming out July 15th yes july 15th it's pre-orderable right now i forgot to put a link but the, whatever you'll you jason richardson merch.com or you could just go straight to jason richardson merch.com yep and um there's links to it everywhere on all of my stuff it's very hard, hard to n- not to find <laughs> you just pre-ordered it you didn't even realize you did it by accident <laughs> with you slip yeah, i tried to make it practically impossible to miss which is still even at Nam, I was asking people. So it was like, like uh, they were like, you know, coming up asking for photos and stuff. Like, you pre order yet? He's like, oh, I didn't know it was up for pre order. I was like, what do I need to do? <laughs> like, I guess I can go like punch, like knock out Mark Zuckerberg, so I can actually <laughs> like people can actually see things that you post. Yep. Yeah. It's like that's dude, a pretty good uh, publicity stunt. I should do that. I should go find him and beat his ass. <laughs> You're like, dude. Why are you making everyone's lives miserable? You're already a multi. You're already a multi-billionaire. You're like the second, one of the like top three richest dudes on the planet. Like, yeah. You could just let me post, and then have everyone who follows me see it. Yeah. Just give us the organic <laughs> reach that of the people who wanted it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he's small. I could probably beat his ass. Yeah, but the thing is, he's <laughs> a he's a robot. You would you wouldn't be hitting flat underneath the flesh is. 
titanium. Yeah, I don't know. Smoked re- ribs and brisket with friends. It's a really brittle metal. <laughs> Gold. That's malleable. Gold. Yeah. You, you hit the first punch and he does this. Yeah, I mean he doesn't have like wolf, like he doesn't have Wolverine type type metal in there. Right. Adamantium. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not that. <laughs> I like how you know that immediately. <laughs> I was all proud, like, oh yeah, it's called adamantium. Oh yeah. no, I gave it away. I gave <laughs> so much away about myself. Well, this is very exciting. The album is awesome. Uh, I guarantee, personally guaranteed, I listened to the whole thing a couple times. It's it's great. Uh, obviously, you worked very very hard on it. Music videos are awesome. Uh, I imagine you're very excited for the world to hear the whole thing. It's gonna be strange. Gonna be strange. No, just having it done and like being able to move on to like the next thing and not just panicking freaking out trying to make it sure everything is going according to plan mm-hmm. well actually this next month is about to be still pretty hectic for me because of the next music video and tab books and other products and other, making sure everything is just staying according to timeline and planned because mm-hmm. uh some things are hard because of supply chain blah 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 yep. etc mm-hmm. making everyone's lives harder <laughs> in case it wasn't already hard enough yes. coming out of the but on top of that they can buy your new guitars that are out through Ernie Ball Music Man yep. that look incredible and and your new Mixwave mix plugin wave. yes um, is available right now I got served ads for it I literally Facebook was good. like buy this um, good so <laughs> it, so keep it up it's working yes hell um, yeah but yeah for real Mixwave is gonna take over the industry in my opinion like once cause it's still it's a brand new company like, yeah my amp is only the second one that they've released, and other than that, they have uh, four drum libraries out. It's uh, Thomas Pridgen, Luke Holland, uh, Gojira, and Tony Royster. So that's all. Like, and there's I know for a fact that there's tons of other shit in the pipeline that they're working on. That is literally just gonna like once everything starts coming out more consistently, like that's gonna be like one of the main companies, in my opinion. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, obviously the the stuff that I've heard is great. So yeah, like I said, it's still brand new. Company still. I don't even think a a product has been out a year yet. Oh shit! In total. Yeah. So just give it a little bit of time. Give it a little bit. Of time. Yeah. Just give it a little bit. It'll get. It'll. It's gonna get there. I know that for a fact. Yep. Here's hoping, dude. Oh, I don't have to cross my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I I know you it's know gonna it. happen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I know it's a. Uh, you know, it's it's a big ask two yeah. hours of your day to come out and uh, and yak about this stuff. No, nah, you're good. It's a little niche, but um, I love hearing about this stuff so much. I started this podcast for me because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to hear this the yeah. way that people do things. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's really a podcast out there that's like this. Y'all at home, there's this is the 18th episode. All of them, except for this one, or may, and maybe just the last one, are also available as audio podcasts. If you want to hear them, um, I record. I record them live every Monday right here on the stream with new artists every week. And who's next? That is a great question. Let me check the calendar. Also, I'm not sure if I have it lined up. But. Also, Lerd Lerd Cormody, you can uh, you can pre-order the new picks. JasonRichardsonMerch.com. JasonRichardsonMerch.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week is Interloper. Interloper, Miles, Dimitri Baker, and company. Super fucking cool band. So, oh yeah, and if you want to, if you want to hear them as audio podcasts, they're on every place that podcasts exist: Apple Music, uh, Google Play, Spotify, the works. Or you can just head over to HowSongsAreMadePodcast.com. Nice. And uh, this was super fun, and I'm looking forward to all of that stuff. So hopefully uh, I will catch you on the Flippy Floppy. Thank you guys all for watching. JasonRichardsonMerch.com. Yes. 
pre-order a new album. And we'll see you soon. See you next week. And it's a lot of fun merch, too. Best shit, coolest looking shit I've had, actually, ever. Best Sweet. merch I've ever had. I'm a fan of it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it on my body. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. Bye, y'all. See ya.